Well, as spring football continues, Oregon's biggest glaring need is at tight end, but they might have one more, too. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe, wherever you listen to or watch this show. Thank you to everybody who has done so already. And this question came in via the YouTube comments. Actually, this was Twitter DMs. You can reach me on YouTube. Drop a comment. You can reach me on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. This one from the DMs via Tanya Shipley, who asked a couple of great questions, by the way. The other one is stashed away for a later date, but uh, for today, mailbag question asks Tanya. This one might be better after spring game. Uh, not so much. It's kind of perfect right now. Uh, but excluding tight end, what position do you think the Ducks are vulnerable at in terms of depth? Could even include the coaching tree with this if Ducks' success continues to make assistance uh, hot coaching commodities. Well, I don't think any more assistants are going to be leaving at this point in time. It's kind of a weird It'd be very, very strange if that if that happened, given the timeline and spring football and whatnot. So I don't have uh, any concerns on that front. But what she's alluding to on the tight ends is 100 percent correct. Something we've discussed here on the show and a couple targets. My bad. I missed it over the missed one of them over the weekend uh, before I recorded Monday show. But Malcolm Epps, the USC tight end who I evaluated in full as a prospect here on the show, looked like he was a perfect fit. He ended up going to Pittsburgh. And Varkey's Gums, freshman All-American, coming out of North Texas. It was down to Oregon and Arkansas, and he's Woo Pig Suey. So he's going to be a hog. And also on the potential transfer front, Bear Alexander, the defensive lineman, went to USC. So Oregon's in a place right now where they have three scholarship tight ends on the roster, and one of them is a true freshman. That is about as thin as you could possibly be at the tight end position without having – or, or – or, the only way you could be thinner is a better way to put this realistically is if you just had a litany of injuries, right? And and Terrence Ferguson is expected to be fine, by the way, but he's out for the rest of spring football. We won't see him at the spring game on, on Saturday. I think tight end is a pretty glaring need. Now, the good news here is the portal window is open until May 1st, right? They moved the timeline up, which I'm not a fan of, by the way, right? When you're getting ready for a spring game and figuring out depth charts, like, I think you're just putting too much on coaches by having this window be right in the middle of spring practice. And I, I just not, not a fan of that move from the NCAA, but per our usual arrangement, the people who are making decisions about college football know very little about the sport itself or care very little about who gets impacted by such moves. They just kind of do stuff because it sounds fun and cool and all that sort of stuff. But so the portal windows open until May 1st, but that's the last day that you can enter the portal. You can come out of the portal Basically any time. That is my understanding. So Oregon will have time to get at least one transfer tight end. Who that will be, I, I don't have a names list right now. I would have to scour the portal and see you know, who's, who's possible. But Gums and, and Epps both would have been really, really good fits for the Ducks. And, and, and what this comes down to essentially is Kenyon Sadiq is going to be, uh, he's going to be called upon as a true freshman. He is, he is 100% going to be called upon. And in the meantime, in spring practice, you could see guys taking snaps at different positions. Dan Lanning, Dan Lanning has been, as usual, 
mum's the word about what guys are, are taking reps at tight end that are not traditionally tight ends. But I don't expect that to happen in the fall where you have like a Mateo playing tight end or I don't know, Josh Connerly playing tight end or just like, you know, pick random names or slide Mace Funa or a linebacker or somebody. I don't know. Someone who's got tight end in their past. I don't expect that to happen. Um, but I do expect them to add a transfer portal tight end because you, you can't go with just three scholarship tight ends. That's you rotate those guys pretty often. We had four tight ends play consistently last year. I don't think they want to go in with three. I think they'll add at least one, but it does uh, bring me to the second part or, or the first part rather, or <laughs> second, first part, whatever that component of Tanya's question Besides tight end, what are what position are the Ducks vulnerable at in terms of depth? Well, apparently the staff sees wide receiver as a place where they could add uh, a player. You know that that offer still out there to to Gary Bryant, and you know Bryant's a really talented guy. Was uh, coming out of of high school, but I, I think he's I don't think he's as high of a priority, at least for me at the receiver position like sure I, I take him I always like having talented guys but I, I don't see him as you know a, a super pressing need and I don't see receiver as a position where Oregon has you know tremendous depth concerns right like you, you start my prediction for the starting receivers you'll have Troy Franklin at the X Treshawn Holden at the Z Chris Hudson and Tez Johnson probably split in the slot and then backing them up, I think you got Kyler Casper at one slot and you got Jurion Dickey at another. Yeah, those guys are young and inexperienced, but you got to get experience at some point in time. And I think those are two really talented players who can contribute for the Ducks this year. And Casper, I've heard you know some good things about him in, in practice and plays that he's made. I, I think physically he's ready. He was a little thin last year. You know, he reclassified to the 2022 cycle, but... And then Jerion Dickey's coming in as like the highest floor of an Oregon freshman wide receiver we've probably ever seen, at least in my lifetime. Like he he is ready to contribute right away. So I, I don't feel like there's a huge need there. But the other the position group where I could see them adding a transfer or you could look at and say, you know, the depth here is not everything you would like it to be is edge on the defensive line. And when you look at what what Oregon's shaping up to to roll out at the edge spot this year, again, thinking about it in a two deep standpoint, you've got Jordan Birch, you got Mace Funa. Those are your most experienced players at that position. Brandon Dorless also probably counts because he's lined up at defensive end as well. But I think he's much better on on the interior and I think he'll play there more this season. But he's one of the top three guys I have in my prediction right now uh, in terms of the rotation. And then you have Mateo Uyunglele, the five-star true, well, high four, whatever, the highly touted true freshman coming in. I don't know how reliable he's going to be. I've got high expectations for his career, but I certainly don't expect him to be tearing it up, you know, game two against Texas Tech when we're going to need to be getting pressure on our old friend Tyler Shuck. So, I could see edge being a position. Now, interestingly enough, I, I saw from one of you uh, the other day. I love when you guys send me information, by the way, because I, I try to keep up with the news as best I can. But sometimes you're better at that than I am. Uh, one of you sent me a DM that Oregon is looking at uh, Jeffrey Emba. That's M apostrophe B-A. He's a defensive lineman from Auburn that the Mario Cristobal staff recruited. 
He was a 2022 uh, recruit, four-star defensive lineman, 6'6", 305 pounds. Not an edge prospect, but I think telling that they would be willing to go after that sort of guy as to how they're feeling about the defensive line. Like there were a lot of names in that defensive line room, but is the production everything that you'd want it to be? Maybe not, you know, depending on how, how well Popo is able to get back to the level he was at before his injury, which was first team all pack 12. I mean, he was outstanding. So if you told me it's Dorless and Popo and Casey Rogers and, uh, you know, like a Keon Ware Hudson or Sam Taimani in there. Yeah, I, I could see that. But did, did I feel like, you know, guys like Keon Ware Hudson or uh, Jake Shipley's played on the defensive line or uh, Sam Taimani even, do I feel like those guys have, you know, been so good, so dominant that you couldn't add a transfer in that position? Clearly not. And the Oregon staff, uh, I, I think, feels the same way. So I could see that, but I'd look at the the edge position because the only other players who can play that edge outside linebacker spot, you know, where you're standing up on the end of a four two five front, Blake Purchase, true freshman coming in, Tatum Tuioti, also a true freshman coming in. I don't know if you can rely on multiple true freshmen on on the defense in a major way. So I, I, I'd say to answer your question, Tanya, I, I think edge is the spot where where the depth is the most lacking at this point in time and where they could bring somebody in. So last year, uh, Oregon had some special teams mishaps. <laughs> they were uh, not particularly good. Uh, your eyes did not deceive you that they weren't good. I'll explain why after I explain that FanDuel is America's number one sports book. They've got everything that you could possibly need over there. And baseball is back. Grand slams, no hitters, double plays, everything. No better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if you don't win. You can pick Aaron Judge to pick up where he left off with a home run. You could build a same game parlay with your favorite matchups of the day. Do whatever you want. Don't miss your chance to get that no sweat first bet, though. Up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Okie dokie. So this question came in uh, via the Twitter direct messages. Back-to-back Twitter DM questions. Again, smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. Those are the handles. YouTube comments, drop a question. You get it answered here on the show. Love hearing your guys' thoughts. Blazer Duck asks, hey, Spencer. He's an everydayer, by the way. He's an absolute stud. Hey, Spencer, special teams kickoff coverage and punt coverage has been a huge weakness. What specifically needs to change in order for it to become a strength? It can't be as simple as wear lighter socks so players run faster. <laughs> that was good. Is it coaching, discipline to stay in running lanes, tackling, effort? What does Dan Lanning need to do between spring and September 2nd to make it a strength? Well, it was not just the mishaps in the Oregon State game that are, are reasons why the special teams were not good last year. Now, Camden Lewis, not the problem. Camden Lewis, not the problem. He was all Pac-12, I believe, honorable mention this year. He's either, either honorable mention or second team. He was quite good, has become a reliable kicker. His career has been awesome, and he'll be back as Oregon's primary kicker this year. If someone beats him out, that just means that, that guy's doing really well. So I feel good about the field goal PAT department. Even with uh, – we, we, we can never forget Camden Lewis's doink to win the holiday poll. 
<laughs> oh man, that was uh, nerve wracking. But in 2022, Oregon in the Pac-12, just in the Pac-12. We're not looking nationally here. Eighth in kickoff return yardage, not ideal. Tenth in punt return yardage, dead last in the conference in punting. So if you watch press conferences for Dan Lanning after practice when he comes over and does a seven to ten minute media availability, he's got a very distinct style. And like it's it's very distinctive. And I I'm totally, totally good with it. He's pretty funny sometimes. Uh, and he'll say exactly what he wants to and exactly what he doesn't want to. But he will get asked about punting pretty regularly. Like it's it's not an uncommon occurrence to hear him get asked about the punting because it was really, really bad last year. So that that's the first thing is you have to have a better actual punter, right? You need to find a Jackson Rice to go back there. You need to find a Blake Maimone, you know, someone who can get the ball up into the air and way down the field because we just didn't have that last year. It was not good enough. It's why they brought in Luke Dunn, the punter from Australia and Look, there, there, there's more than one way to skin a cat here. Um, you, you, you just, you either have to be able to get it high and directionally accurate, or like a Tom Snee. Uh, Tom was good, but you also can go the Australian route where you do that kind of rugby punt. You run out, and you kind of roll it down the field. E- either way, either way, you, you, you just gotta find a way to be effective. So that's the first thing. The punter has to be better. The second thing though, is clearly Oregon doesn't have enough guys or didn't last year who were out there to make impact plays on special teams. And it's something I think that gets talked about in the abstract a lot. But when you're talking about a special teams unit, you need guys on there with high-end speed. You need guys who are really good tacklers, right? It is a component of your defense. I think of special teams as an extension of the defense, right? They work in tandem. Because if the pun if the punter can pin the other team inside the 20 rather than letting them bring it out to you know the 30, 35 yard line or whatnot, statistically, your defense is going to perform a lot better. And part of the reason the defense did struggle, not entirely, they still have their own things to work out. But part of the reason the defense struggled last year, particularly in the points per game department, is that they were often put kind of behind the eight ball in terms of opponent's starting field position. So that, that, that's something. And and you just love to see more more explosive plays in in the return game as well. I, th- I think the return game was, you know, it had its moments. Eighth and kickoff return yardage isn't great. If you could get that up and be middle of the conference, I think that's fine. But clearly the offense, you know, based on what we saw last year, didn't need a tremendous, uh, a, a tremendous boost in in that sense. But the, the the actual punter has has got to be better, right? That's just that's an individual. That's not for, forget you know the gunners and the blocking and the coaching and everything like that. The actual punter has got to be better. Adam Barry was pretty good at generating kickoffs last year. I think he was one of the three or four best in the Pac-12 in terms of touchback percentage. So not concerned about that. But the the coaching, frankly, has just got to be better. The the coaching and the execution. It's no different than an offense or a defense. The coaches have got to coach better and the players have got to go out there and be more disciplined with their assignments, understand what their roles are and go out there and make impact plays. Cause there just weren't very many, you know, Oregon special teams last year, when you were doing a kickoff or a punt, it felt like you were holding your breath. 
because you were just trying, you're just hoping that they weren't going to allow, you know, a, a big return. But in terms of what it has to, you know, is it coaching? Is it discipline? Stay in running lanes, tackling effort? I, I don't think it's an effort thing. I, I think that you have to be able to work in conjunction with your punter. And there are a lot of different ways schematically to approach special teams, right? There's directional punt this way, directional punt that way. There's, you know, the running punt, let guys get down there. There's, you know, more protection. There's more coverage. There's, you know, there are a lot of different ways to do it. And look, it was year one for Joe Lorig and he he came in, I think with pretty high expectations from Penn state where his special teams units were really, really good. But last year they were not good enough. They, They were not good enough. And so, in year two, you'd like to see growth on that front. You'd like to see, you know, not as many punt returns get brought back 15 to 20 yards when when we're the team that's punting. You'd like to see us bring a couple more punt returns back. Though, frankly, on punt returns, personally, I don't really care about punt return yardage as much. On on, on kick return yardage, I care about. Punt return yardage, just catch the ball. Just just get the ball to the offense. That's that is my number one thing on on punt return is get out there and look. If you got a lane, great. But I don't need you. You know, and Oregon showed this last year, right? They were what I say tenth in punt return yardage, and they had one of, if not the best, offense in the Pac-12. I think they were. I think they were first in points per game. I don't know. They were tops of the conference, right? You don't need great punt returns necessarily, but. You do need better coverage if your defense is going uh, is going to be better. And, and I think it's it's about finding impact players. I think it's understanding the scheme and the assignments. And then at the end of the day, you got to go out there and, and execute. And you need guys who are hungry to do that. And, you know, I think that's uh, a place where true freshmen can really make a name for themselves is on special teams, right? Guys like Roderick Pleasant with great speed. Uh, I would have pegged Jalil Tucker till he transfers a guy who could make an impact there. But um, anyway, hope that answers your question uh, well enough. And I'm certainly not going to overlook uh the the special teams for this year uh before i get to the uh the two basketball transfers just a real quick question that came in yesterday from uh bud everts um he, he just this is kind of a fun one uh what does smalls underscore 55 stand for i'm mystified <laughs> i could just leave it out there in the lure of spencer mclaughlin host of locked on ducks and just just kind of let it simmer let it marinate and let you foster your own thoughts, but instead I will answer the question. So that, that Twitter account is the same one I've had when I first joined the app back in mm, seventh grade. Yeah. Seventh grade. And at the time I was playing on a, a JBO baseball team in Lake Oswego and my nickname was small. So when I needed to come up with a handle, um, the, the smalls moniker had been given to me by my, my coach that year, Ben Monnier. I was standing next to him and he was hitting fly balls of the outfield and I was uh, and, and I was just doing some catching for him and I kept giving him bad tosses. And so he just looks at me and goes, you're killing me. You're you're killing me, Smalls, because I don't know why I just kept giving him bad tosses. And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm going to call you Smalls. And I was like, OK. And I'd seen the Sandlot and of course I like it. And so my number that year was five. And so when I made my Twitter handle, I wanted it, I wanted it to actually be smalls underscore five. I w- and I had to try a bunch of different stuff because it was smalls five that was taken. Smalls underscore five that was taken. That's my Instagram handle, smalls underscore five. And so then 55 was there um, because I just liked the number five because it was what I had worn in Little League and through JBO. So I just kind of rolled with it. And that's how we came to smalls underscore 55. And 
got me this far so it can't can't be too bad so that's the uh that's the mysterious answer to your question bud thank you for sending it all right i'm legitimately intrigued by what oregon is doing here on on the men's basketball front so they've added two transfers devin cambridge from arizona state and Cario Akendo from Georgia. I'll start with Cambridge, who we discussed uh, a while back when Oregon had him in for a visit on the pod with Richie Bradshaw of Locked on Sun Devils. Uh, Richie, some, to, to sum up his thoughts, guy who's covered him for the last several years said, quote, Devin Cambridge was a starter for the vast majority of the 2022-23 season for ASU. While his production may appear lackluster in the box score, it is 9.8 points per game, so not that lackluster. Uh, don't be fooled. Cambridge is a do-it-all kind of player with big play potential, with solid defense, and good enough shooting. Cambridge can be a starter for the Ducks in a best-case scenario, one of the better sixth men in the Pac-12. I would love for him to be one of the first guys off the bench. Like Quincy Garrier last year, who transferred away, he's going to Illinois. I think this is kind of a direct replacement there. And I thought Garrier last year, who averaged – between nine and 10 points per game, he shot it better from three than Cambridge did, but was six foot seven. Cambridge is six foot six. He's 215 pounds. He's got just one year of eligibility left. He's played in 127 career games, super experienced guy. I really liked having Gary A off the bench, gave you some size, athleticism, and a wing who can create your own shot. And Cambridge can do that. And he also rebounds well. I, I think that's what. Dane Altman is seeing here. He's a guy who averaged just under 10 points a game, five boards, shot it not great from beyond the arc, which I'll touch on in a moment. But I loved Garrier coming off the bench. So I, I think going into next year, my preferred starting lineup, you'd have Jackson Shellstad at point. I really like him there. You'd have Jermaine Kuznard at the two. Probably Mookie Cook at the three, but it might end up being Cambridge, KJ Evans at the four, and Folly Dante at the five. I think that's a pretty darn good starting lineup. And if it's Cambridge on the wing, then you're probably bringing Mookie Cook off the bench. You're probably bringing Keyshawn Barthelme off the bench as well, the ultimate jitterbug, instant offense, six man off the bench, Nate Biddle. And then you have Jadrian Tracy, the sharpshooter. And, and now, and, and this is where it gets kind of interesting because I think this could go in a number of different directions, right? That's what my preferred rotation lineup would be with those guys. But Cambridge, I wish he was a better three-point shooter. He was just a hair under 30% a season ago. He's never been a knockdown shooter. And Oregon just had a historically bad season of shooting threes. Worse than the Dana Altman era, worse than like 20-some-odd years for Oregon men's basketball. It was really bad. So it, it's curious to me that you go out and add two guys who didn't even shoot at 30% from beyond the arc last year. Now, they also added Jadrian Tracy, who was a Juco guy. So I don't think he's quite as likely to play. But if he can shoot, then he should see the floor. He was 43% from beyond the arc. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Oregon needs at least one guy who can shoot over 40% from three. And they don't have that right now. And to me, that's a problem. And even if you look at a Kendo and Cambridge and say, well, maybe in this system, they'd be better shooting. That's still, I think their ceiling, both guys upper is, is, is mid thirties from beyond the arc. So 
I, I understand it on the one hand, because Gary A gave you shot making off the bench. He gave you size, athleticism. I think he did a lot of good things. That's probably what they see in Cambridge. He looks like he'd be a starter. Depends on how ready Mookie Cook is, who's six foot five, five-star incoming freshman, one of the top 10 players in the 2023 recruiting class for, for the Ducks. But uh let, let's flip over to Akendo for a moment. So he's six foot four, 210 pounds, shooting guard, 200 or 200, two years of eligibility left. He's coming over from Georgia, where a season ago, he averaged 15 points a game. He averaged 18 points a game in SEC play. The prior season he played in 29 games was just under 13 points a game. Now, he himself is about a 27% career three-point shooter. Again, not what we're not what we're necessarily looking for. Now, he is a very talented player. And what I would love to see both of these guys do is what Jermaine Kuznard did. So Jermaine Kuznard is going to enter his fifth year of college basketball. He said three with South Carolina, one with Oregon. He'll play one more this year. So Kuznard, his first two years in, in college hoops, was under 30% from beyond the arc. But the last two years, or, or sorry, he was under 30%. Um, or yeah, he was under 30%. I'm trying to read my own notes here. In each of his first two years, and then... The last two years, he's also been under 30%, kind of that 28, 29% range. But a season ago, he was 32%, 32, 33, kind of in that range. So if he can continue to make a jump, I would like to see these other guys do the same because Oregon can just, you just can't afford to have a bunch of guys on the court who can't hit 30% of their threes because we saw what happens when you do that this year. Right. Will Richardson just kind of stopped shooting altogether, which was unfortunate because he was a high. He was like a 41 percent three point shooter during his best years with the Ducks. Keyshawn Bartholomew was a really good three point shooter in conference play. He ended the year 37 percent. I, I really like Bartholomew. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge fan of him off the bench. But I look at both of these guys and say I would really like to see them up their three-point shooting percentage. And and look, Kuznar did that. He was 33%, sorry, not 32, 33% a year ago. So if these guys can do that, then they can be really good players and be what Oregon is kind of looking for here. But I still just look around at, at this roster and say, I don't, I don't see a sharpshooter, right? Other than maybe Jadrian Tracy, but I don't know how much we can rely on Juco players. But so though I'd like to see, and Shellstad's a good shooter too, but we don't know what he can do at the college level yet. And expecting a lot of a true freshman might not be the best idea. So I, I would like to see it be, you know, Shellstad and, and Kuznard or, or Kendo, frankly, uh, starting out there and Mookie Cook and KJ Evans and, and Folly Dante. What I suspect is Jermaine Kuznard is going to slide over to the point. And I think it can, I mean, I, I just struggle to think you'd bring in power five transfers, guys who were double digit or just under in Cambridge's case, double digit scores in the PAC 12 and SEC a year ago and not start them. Right. Especially Kendo, like 15 points a game. Hard to see how he moves into a bench role there. Uh, I think Cambridge is more likely to be first or second guy off the bench along with Keyshawn Bartholomew. So, 
if you put a Kendo in the starting lineup, I think Kuznard probably slides over to the point. A Kendo at the two. Let's say they put Cambridge at the three. Evans at the four because there's no power forward in there. Like that's the other thing is these guys are guard slash wings and we've got a bunch of them right now. I mean, I mean a bunch of them, right? You got these two coming in. You got Jadrian Tracy, Jackson Shellstead. You could have Bronny James too. So right now we haven't officially heard. It's expected that Keyshawn Bartholomew is going to come back. But between him and Brennan Rigsby, do not be surprised if between now and the end of this transfer portal window, one of them decides to put their name in. I think Rigsby would be more likely, but I won't be surprised because I just don't see how Rigsby, who you know does a lot of solid things but couldn't bring it a year ago offensively, he really struggled to, to shoot the basketball. I mean, who didn't on, on, on the Ducks, honestly. But Rigsby was a twenty, just under 28% from beyond the arc. If he doesn't have an avenue to playing, I could see him going elsewhere, and I could see him not having a major avenue to playing. So if it seems like I'm hesitant to get over the moon about these guys it's because i am like they bring a lot of upside they bring a lot of production they bring a lot of experience athleticism and i I think they they fit what dane allman wants to do from the defense and rebounding standpoint but defense and rebounding is not why oregon struggled last year it was that they went through too many offensive droughts and they couldn't shoot the three And it was just game in, game out. If they won the three-point shooting battle, they won the game. If they lost it, they lost the game. And they had too many instances in which they couldn't keep up with other teams in the conference shooting. So, yeah. (laughs) Ending it like every middle schooler and high schooler with a PowerPoint presentation. I'm not completely down on these guys. They they bring a lot of things to the table. Shooting-wise, not there yet. Hopefully they make a jump. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.